0: Welcome to the Healthcast. I'm your host, Murray Smith, and in today's topic, we will be covering fevers in children. Joining me today is a South African pediatrician, Dr. Michael Platten. Dr. Platten embarked on his journey into the world of medicine at the University of Cape Town, where he earned his medical degree in 2009. Driven by a thirst for knowledge, he earned a diploma in child health in 2012, a Master of Medicine through WITS in 2017. And to top it all off, he further specialised in paediatrics in 2018. With over 11 years of experience in paediatrics, he is currently embracing his expertise in the realm of a private practice at Life Bedford Gardens Hospital, where he is making a profound impact on the lives of those he serves. Dr. Platten's story isn't confined to the medical expertise alone. He dons various hats as a devoted husband, a doting father, a self proclaimed technophile and a sci fi enthusiast. Dr. Michael Platten, welcome to the Healthcast.
1: Hi, Murray. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me join your, your amazing podcast.
0: Great, Doctor. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. I would like to start today's episode by asking you what inspired you to pursue a career in medicine? Um, but more specifically specialize in pediatrics?
1: Well, I've always enjoyed how the body works. So the physiology of the body and trying to figure out how all the intricacies make you function. But more so, once I become a doctor, I decided I want to do pediatrics. And how I realized that is actually, I didn't like treating adult patients. (laughs) But I do like adults as in parents, but not adult patients. But more so than that, it's actually that the, children are so resilient and strong and they they love they, even though it, you you prick them you hurt them because sometimes you have to do that they still like give you a thumbs up or a handshake when they leave it's just that that love that they have that's really just drew me to pediatrics
0: yeah uh with most of the peas i've spoken to they they all kind of come down saying the same thing that the little ones bounce back a lot quicker than adults Um, And you can immediately see when they're healthy. They can't hide it or lie like adults do. We
1: we normally say Um, that they do their own physio.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Dr. Flatten. then moving over to our very interesting topic today. Let's start with the basics. What exactly is fever in children and why do their little body temperatures rise in response to certain situations?
1: So fever in a child is... A response to normally an infection. In most cases, it's an infection, which is either viral or bacterial, or sometimes a fungal infection. But it's responding to an abnormal substance in the body. And how it responds is that the body realizes that there's something there that shouldn't be there. And your immune system actually starts mounting a response to it. And it releases chemicals that actually go into the brain. And in your brain, you actually have a thermostat that you turn up and turn down based on what you need. And these chemicals actually turn that thermostat up. And as it goes up, the body realizes, oh, I need to be warmer. So then it starts warming up and we can go through all the different symptoms that is associated with that. But as the temperature goes up, they start doing all their things and they get to exactly where they need to be and then they have a fever. But then over time, the body naturally reduces that again. So the temperature goes down. And goes back to normal. And then it rises again. And it's a natural rise and fall of a temperature in a child that has not actually received medication. So for everyone, when you have a fever, it'll go up and down, just based on how the body responds to that uh, insult, as we call it.
0: It's actually a very intricate process, but definitely essential. Um, but a lot of parents immediately are alarmed when they see a fever in their little ones. So for parents who might be new to this, could you give us a quick rundown of what is considered a normal body temperature for in children, and when does it cross over into the fever territory?
1: A normal fever is considered to be 36 to 37.5 degrees Celsius. There's a gray area, which is 37.5 to 38, which is normally something is developing, but we're not there yet. And more than 38 is a definite fever.
0: And that's standard, so...
1: That's standard, across the world.
0: <laughs> okay, now that's good to know, Dr. Mm. Platten. When we spoke earlier, you hinted at a separate topic as well, those affecting tiny tots younger than three months. Would you mind briefly elaborating on that?
1: Well, I'll start by outside the three months. So if, if you have a child that is more than three months and has a fever, we can treat it. We can treat it with uh, fever medicine. We have a look and see what other, what other symptoms they might have and then treat that on um, merit. The issue with less than three months, but even more specifically, less than six weeks, is that if they have a fever, they need to be seen. We do not expect a child less than at least six weeks to have any fever. There is something more significant going on. So if your child has a fever less than six weeks, take them. Go see your your medical practitioner.
0: So thank you so much for clarifying that to our listeners. Still elaborating on that as well. What are the common reasons behind children developing a fever? Um, when I listened, to, I listened to your podcast, your two pets in a pod as well, <laughs> they have yeah. fever 101. Um, I loved how you elaborated on a scenario, but it came down to, I think a lot of parents immediately associate a fever, fever with teething. Um. Uh-huh. But are there specific illnesses that tend to cause a fever more than others?
1: Well, in our podcast, if you have a listened to it, or which you have, uh, yeah, teething yeah. does not cause a fever more than 38 degrees as a rule of thumb. But mm-hmm. if you're looking at the infections that cause fevers, it can be any of them. The main uh, causes, the, the most popular causes, I call it popular, are your or influenza, uh, COVID, definitely cause a lot of fever. and. Also, uh, adenovirus is one of the main causes of fevers, and all three of those viruses cause fevers that can be about 40 degrees for about five to seven days. There's also Epstein-Barr virus, there's measles, it's a whole host. But even that, even saying that, there is a, or infections like for the common cold is caused by rhinovirus, and there's over 100 different types of rhinovirus, and you can get a rhinovirus now and in two weeks and in two weeks again, the same virus, can cause a fever in one infection. And then two weeks later, won't cause one. So it really just depends on how your body identifies and reacts to that virus.
0: Amazing. I mean, I think after COVID, we've all gotten so used to our fevers and temperatures being checked. Um, Mm -hmm. There are different tools that you can use. Does it matter where the fever is tested or checked as well? The type of thermometer, for instance, that you use?
1: So there's different types of thermometers. There's the old mercury thermometer and also a digital uh, thermometer. I'm there. This is an old digital thermometer. This is what I actually use. And then you can also have uh, your infrared uh, ear, uh, tympanic infrared thermometers, and also you can do a rectal temperature. What we always say is use what you have at home that you're going to be using the most frequently because if you keep doing the temperature, you know when it's high, it's actually high. So use what you're comfortable with. Bearing in mind that if you're doing an ear temperature or a rectal temperature, that is what we call core temperature, and that is core temperature of the of the, the body. If you're checking under the arm, we normally add 0.5 to 1 degree on top of that, because is a bit further away from the core. We don't normally recommend that you do forward temperatures, because if you've been walking outside and it's been hot or it's been cold, it's gonna affect the temperature. And also if you do one in the mouth, you need to make sure that the tongue is very well pushed against that thermometer and children won't do that. And also if they had something warm or cold to drink, it's gonna affect the temperature. So if you have an ear thermometer, perfect. If you have a rectal thermometer, it's a bit more invasive. Try not, don't normally do that. Otherwise under the arm, that's what I do and it works really well.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. for clarifying that as well. Um, when I was preparing for your questions for the podcast, what came up the most was parents asking about febrile seizures. Yeah. Um, and I have no knowledge in this, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> with regards to this. So I think many parents have heard the term febrile seizures. Would you mind explaining that to our listeners and just how exactly that relates to a fever?
1: Okay, so with febrile convulsions or fever fits what happens is that it's normally an infection that causes a fever. And with that fever, as it rises, the pediatric brain or the children's brains are very sensitive to changes in temperature. So if that increases just a bit too much or even just too quickly, it can trigger a, a seizure. But we have specific guidelines to call it a febrile convulsion versus not. And the guidelines are that we expect febrile convulsions to be present between six months and six years. They need to be less than five minutes in duration. You can actually push about 15, but if you're more than 15, it's not. Uh, and then also you have to have a reason outside of the brain to have a fever. So they have to have a runny nose or a, a pneumonia or a diarrhea or a blood infection. Because if there is no other cause of fever that we can find in the body, it might be in the head and it might be a meningitis that's causing the seizures. So we expect them to 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 grow out of that fever or the the febrile convulsions by six years.
0: I think it's just the fact that it's happening that can be quite scary. The, oh, absolutely! The, it's it's the yeah.
1: worst thing that can happen to your child is a seizure because you don't know if they're going to die. Normally, with fe- fever fits or febrile convulsions, it is short period of time. A short okay. period of time. It lasts for about five minutes. It'll be the worst five minutes of your life. And oh, the other thing I wanted to say was pausing, it affects the whole body. So it's not just one side of the face twitching or the arm. It's the whole body. And normally they're quite tight. They uh, and then slowly get a bit uh, looser and then they, they have their seizure.
0: And how often do you have, have you witnessed these, these febrile seizures, doctor? Just out of curiosity?
1: Quite, it's quite frequent. It's quite frequent. It's about, it happens in about 5% of the population across the world. And and it is familial. If it does happen, take your child to your your medical practitioner immediately. If you have a casualty or an emergency room, take them there.
0: Just out of curiosity as well, doctor, after you explained it so nicely, if your child does experience or does go through a febrile seizure, is Mm. the tendency for them to get it every time they do experience a fever more? Is it going to happen every time they get a fever or not?
1: You raise a very good point, and I'm happy you actually asked that, because with a child that has a diagnosed fe- fever fit or febrile convulsion, every single time that they have a fever, they're at risk of having a, a convulsion. Okay. And normally, All it's right. with a, a temperature of more than 38.5. So the moment that if your child has had a fever fit before, the moment that that temperature starts rising, treat it so okay. that we don't get to the point where they can have a, a seizure.
0: Okay, that's good to know. A little bit more reassuring. <laughs> um, it's fascinating how a child's immune system works. Um, would you mind explaining to us how a fever is considered a natural response to an infection and how it aids in fighting an illness?
1: So, your baby's immune system is able to identify every single infection on this planet from the day it is born and mount a response to that, whether it's primitive or an actual targeted response. So, the the body is amazing in how it actually works. So like I said at the beginning of what we're talking about, is that there's a protein or an infection or a virus that's there. body identifies it, and then it takes it to the immune system. You have lots of different cells that do different things. And you have specific cells that take those bugs to the immune system. The immune system then says, oh, this is something that's abnormal in the body. Let's build an army to fight it. So normally by day two or day three of the illness, that's when you actually start fighting an infection. You get your initial symptoms because it's your body's, what we call, innate immunity, the first responders. They move in and they trigger your fever because the fever actually helps to limit the spread and production of those bacteria and viruses in the body. That's why you get a fever. And once your body has actually like targeted that infection, they then send out the, the, the big guns. And then that clears the infection. Even then, with antibiotics, antibiotics just help to suppress the amount of bugs in the body. Your body still needs to clear that last bit of infection itself.
0: My pharmacology professor liked to compare it to the way you boil water to get rid of germs. It's exactly mm, the same exactly. way. So, exactly. Yeah, he, he compared us getting a fever to that, which which I, to this day, won't forget. Um, When a child does have a fever, it's quite tricky to... to differentiate between when it is really serious and when it is not. You did touch on that as well, doctor, but would you mind elaborating a little bit more on the symptoms parents should be on the lookout for, for um, danger signs, when to intervene and when to not?
1: If, if I may just digress a bit, before we go into that, uh, we, I need to just explain what happens during a fever so you know mm-hmm. what to expect. So if a, a, the fever is not following the same process, you know that it's wrong and there's something go- yeah. something else going on. So when, well, I was talking about the thermostat that goes up. So when your body, when your brain says, increase the temperature, your whole body is going to start feeling cold. That's why you start feeling cold before you have a fever. Because now your brain says, be hot, but the body's cold. What your body does is, when you're cold, you shiver. So they start shivering. Not shivering. And as they start shivering, they are increasing the heat because the muscles start generating heat, and that's why you shiver. And because your muscles are using more energy, your heart rate goes up. And because your muscles are using that energy, your respiratory rate also goes up. So they're breathing fast, their heart rate increases, and they're shivering. So you get to the point where you have 39, and then the temperature comes up, comes up, comes up, comes up, and it just gets to 39, and it just overshoots a bit. Their brain's like, you're too hot. The body then feels hot. They start sweating. And then because they are sweating, they start having the what we call wrinkles because they're too hot. So that's what happens in a normal pr- process of fever, and if you give medication, the temperature gets switched off back to thirty six point five, and then you feel hot. That's what you sweat, and then they sweat the fever. out.
0: So, in other words, the normal response is actually to be cold before getting hot. Then, yes, always B-
1: <laughs> within reason. Within reason, but normally yeah. because the it depends on also how how quickly that thermostat has been increased. Because some viruses do it almost immediately, and then, up, and then you feel cold, and some take it all time.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody has experienced a fever. We all know how it feels to, to actually be shivering on the inside, but heating up for some mm. reason.
1: To, to go back to your, your concerning features, definitely yeah. if a fever is more than 40 degrees, then need, the child needs to be seen. If the fever is not responding to adequate amounts of pain, medicine, pain medication, and normally for a child less than one year, we'd use something called paracetamol. There's lots of different uh, paracetamol generics and originals out there. If they are over one, we can consider using the non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs, which is methanamic acid and ibuprofen. That does have its own issues. Normally, we would start and use paracetamol because it is the safest, especially in mild overdose. If you accidentally give too much in a, like a, a, a rush to get the fever down it is actually relatively safe in small amounts of overdose. The main issue is the the ibuprofen and the methamic acid because it gets uh, eliminated by the kidneys. So the kidneys get rid of it out of the body. And if the child is dehydrated because they have a fever, which is another sign of severe fever, uh, it actually gets stuck in the kidneys and causing inflammation in the kidneys. But the paracetamol is eliminated by the liver, which is not dictated by how hydration doesn't affect how it gets metabolized in the body. So it's a much safer drug.
0: Just out of curiosity as well, we, we spoke about fever obviously being um, a natural response, your body's natural response to fighting an infection. With mm-hmm. us treating a fever then and blocking this response, what does that mean for the infection that you've built up in your body?
1: Fever is a normal process. And actually, as pediatricians, we're not really that worried about fever. Fever just tells us that there's something going on. The we parents are, are worried. <laughs> exactly. I'd love to say that you don't need to be worried, but you're gonna be you're gonna be concerned. The first time your child has a fever, like if my child's gonna die, yeah,
0: or what's happening,
1: (laughs) and that's that's completely fine. But because we see fever so often, it just tells us that something is going on, and Mm. we normally recommend that you treat them because they're feeling terrible. Their whole body is sore, they're uncomfortable, they're crying, they don't sleep. So to give them the time and the rest that they need, treat them. It's there for a reason,
0: yeah, it's just a alarm actually, to indicate exactly. that something like you said is not right, and it's it, your body's the tiny bodies are trying to fix it also with little ones, dehydration can be a big concern for for parents in your opinion, or is there any advice doctor to ensure that their babies or the little ones are getting adequate hydration?
1: Well, the first thing is to or to 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 explain is that we need to identify what is dehydration or is your child dehydrated? And the most important thing or the important things is to look at your baby's urine output. So are the nappies still wet? How often are they peeing and how concentrated is that urine? Because as it gets more concentrated and less volume, they are actually relatively fluid depleted. Not necessarily dehydrated, but they're running in that direction. Also, the moment that tears disappear, you start with proper dehydration and also dry mouth. So there are a few other things, but they're a bit later signs. But if you don't have tears and your mouth is dry and you have reduced urine output, you're heading in that direction. And normally how we can help stop that is just by giving small amounts of fluid, but more frequently. So they might refuse a larger bottle of whatever they're drinking. But if they can just have small amounts of fluid, but frequently. Normally say 10 mils of fluid every 10 minutes. And if they're tolerating that, then we give 20 mils of fluid every 20 minutes. And we're increasing the volume slowly. And if you just keep hydrating, you're going to win the battle against dehydration.
0: My mom always said a child is always sick at night. When you don't have anything, the pharmacies are closed, you can't go to a doctor. Do you have any advice for parents who are at home and do sit with a sick child, say in the middle of the night, how to manage and maintain a fever?
1: The first thing I would say is that with every, every person, on the planet, we have a, what we call a diurnal variation where the fever or the temperature in the body increases slowly, peaks at night, and then goes back down again in the morning. So all of our temperatures are relatively higher at night. That's it. With a fever, if your child is hot when you, when you walk into their room at like 10 o'clock at night because they're crying, you feel them, they, they're burning up. You want to bring some eggs and cook them on them because they're that hot. Undress them. Pull, pull the, the blankets off if they have extra blankets. If they have like a couple of layers, leave just one layer. And then that normally does bring the, the temperature down quite a bit to, just by itself. If they're still hot, then it, before we use medicine, so we have, there's medicine that we can use and there's non-medical uh, things that we can do. The non-medical things are dress them down, give them some cool or cold fluids to drink. And if you really need to, you can put them into a lukewarm bath that's around about the same temperature that they are, not an ice bath. Then it shocks the body and then they start shivering, which increases the temperature even more. So put them into a lukewarm bath. You can even use your, your thermometer that you check their temperature with to check how hot the temperature is in the, in the bath. Put them in there and then you slowly add cold water until you get down to about 36 degrees. And that's going to slowly bring their temperature down so that they don't actually start shivering. Which will eat it. That said, we normally don't recommend that you use, there's lots of other myths and things like Vinegar baths and putting vinegar on feet and potatoes on feet and other things we've heard. Very interesting. Uh, but uh, the whole idea is that we just want to reduce it, but not with the childhood risk. So you just go back to the bath. Once you've got to 36, take them out and then dry them off so they don't drop any further. Then we go into medication. So the medication is, like I said, the paracetamol. Give paracetamol and assist the response. So normally paracetamol, if you're using the oral paracetamol, works within about 30 to 45 minutes. You, there is also a suppository version of paracetamol that you can also use. It's a bit easier in a smaller charge, is put in the box. Uh, that normally works also within about 30 to 45 minutes. The only issue is that if you're giving uh, the paracetamol suppository, the dose might not be sufficient or might be too much. That's why we prefer to give oral doses because we can dose optimally. And if we dose optimally, we can give medication for paracetamol every four hours. And normally, with a viral infection, your fever's up, you treat it, with, within about 30 minutes, it drops down and it's flat, 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 flat. You have your child back happy running around. Fever goes back up after four hours and they're flat again. So you give the medication again to four hours and they're happy and running around.
0: And like you said in the beginning, you can see immediately when they're not, when they're sick and when they are healthy. Um, yeah. yeah. They can't hide it. I did put this question in the briefing but after you've spoken and taking me through a doctor I I don't know why I even I even put it there in the first place but and all, all children are going to get a fever so that we know but are there certain steps parents can have in place to reduce the risks of children getting a fever or maybe changing my question reducing the risk of of children getting a fever that's too high, that goes over into the danger zones?
1: Well, I think, let me start with the first part of that. And if COVID taught us anything, it's just hand hygiene. And that's most important. Like if you show a child at school, just wash their hands when they get home. But with most respiratory viruses like COVID and influenza and rhinovirus, the common cold, you're infectious from the day before you start symptoms. So trying to isolate a sick child in the house to not infect another child, you've missed the boat. You're never going to get away from respiratory viruses. So to answer your second part is, can we limit how bad the fever is? Not really. And the body will mount a response the way it mounts the response and we manage it based on how they, they mount that fever. And like I said, we're not okay. really worried about fevers. If it's more than 40, okay, go, go, go see someone, especially if it's 42 or 46. We've seen a 46 in our, in our uh, practice before. They got admitted. <laughs> but yeah. normally between... 38 to 40, we're okay, as long as it responds to medication.
0: Okay, that's reassuring. Dr. Platton, you are also a dad. How has your... Of three. Your... <laughs> of three. <laughs> yes. I actually should have asked you before, um, but how did becoming a dad and your outlook on treating your patients, and as a pediatrician, how has being a dad af- affected or changed your outlook on treating little ones?
1: Uh, preface that with something else like when you specialize no one teaches you how what normal is the only way that you actually learn learn what normal is is to have your own child and there was a massive crash course for me when i had my first child like is that normal and once you know what normal is like we know what normal is in general during our specialization but we also know what's abnormal and we know when, when to tell the difference and it's very very different with your own child because then you start being more personally invested and you start second-guessing yourself. So I actually mm. use my my one colleague over here as as a backup when my wife doesn't trust what I'm saying. <laughs> she's she's like, a, like a mom would normally be, is protective. And I'm very mm. relaxed because I've, I see this all the time. And I manage it all the time. I say, the fever's fine. She's like, no, it's not. The fever's fine. No, it's not. Mm. So <laughs> it's was just trying to balance the, the head knowledge with the heart knowledge. And making yeah. sure that your child is as comfortable as possible. And my, my philosophy for treating children that I see is that I treat them as I with my own child. So they're not going to get unnecessary antibiotics. They're not going to get unnecessary medicine. As little as possible, but as much as required.
0: Yeah, that's, that's definitely, it counts in your favor. Absolutely, doctor. I think um, having kids of your own, but also having your wife there to remind you what parents what normal feel is. experience. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's very useful. Yeah. Um, and Lastly, Dr. Platten, could you touch on any topics of fever myths, any misconceptions that you'd like to debunk for our listeners?
1: Well, the the most common one that we have is that a fever is going to melt your child's brain. Wow! If it's too high, so no, (laughs) it's not going to (laughs)
0: happen. Thank goodness.
1: Uh, Yes, thank thank you. The there aren't okay. There there are lots of different myths, and, and like I know this is for across the world and every single part of the world will have different myths and legends mm-hmm. and things and old wives tales. But generally, yeah. if there is a fever, treat it. And yeah. treated with the non-medical things. So dress them down. Don't worry about the other stuff. Dress them down. Cool them down with the with nice bar, like lukewarm bar. And make sure that they're drinking cold fluids. Don't start adding all these other things that might or might not work or your grandmother said this. Do the things that you know are safe yeah. and that you trust. Because basically there are so many different things out there that you can actually find on Google, through your, your family, you should trust. But the thing is, what it comes down to is, are you happy with what you are doing with your child? Do you feel that what you're doing with, with your child is safe? And if it's passed what we call that litmus test, if it's passed your own, but like moral test, moral code, then use it. If you aren't sure about it, rather check with someone.
0: That's wonderful, doctor. My key takeaway from the conversation today is definitely that, first of all, fever is going to happen. It's mm-hmm. your their little body's natural defense, an indication, like you said, that something is wrong, but that can be managed and treated.
1: It absolutely can. And if it doesn't, then we're there. So yes. use us. And uh, I think the one last thing that I wanted to mention is, and it's the most important thing of all of this, is if you are concerned as a parent, get your child check. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's definitely what you're also going to be contributing to working for Globemed with virtual mm. consultations as well. I think that's def- it's definitely going to be a game changer for a lot of parents to mm. be able to access pediatricians virtually when, when they need you.
1: Absolutely. We're really looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) That's great to hear, Dr. Platton. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to me.
1: It's a pleasure, Marilee. Thanks for having me on.
0: That wraps up today's episode on fevers in children with Dr. Michael Platton. This podcast is powered by GlobeMade UK, giving you access to the best doctors, treatments and medical specialists worldwide.
1: Thank you.